0: We spent the last four weeks talking about the tabernacle. We saw that how God grew the faith of the Israelites using a building project is the same way he's going to grow our faith using a building project. We stopped to do that little break halfway through the Ten Commandments. So before we move on to the next set of of the commandments, we have to realize the first group was uh, vertical. It was about us and God. No idols, no other God, right? And rest in Him for the Sabbath. Now we're moving on to more horizontal commandments, which deal with how we apply the law of God uh, to our lives and to our relationships. But before we go to that, before we talk about the law that Moses was given and all the rules and restrictions, I wanted to just take a week and discuss how the law of the Old Testament applies to Christians in the New. We have to do this because we are confused how to apply the whole Bible to our lives but the Old Testament in particular when you start reading through the Old Testament there's some weird laws in there all right some of them are easy to follow like don't eat bats check I'll obey that one my whole life you know but then it's like what about you know ham products Uh uh-oh I'm a bacon lover I'm in trouble so and then fabric laws and then there's also there's so many rules and restrictions about uh cleansing of the body And God's people have to ask, how does this apply to my life? And if we don't apply it correctly, we're going to get very confused about how we approach God and how we please him. I read a fascinating story about a journalist who worked for Esquire magazine, and he tries these like life challenges, and then he writes about them. For example, he read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica, the whole thing, and then wrote about what he learned. For one month, he outsourced his entire life to a company in India, including taking care of his children, talking to his wife, and he just took a month off of life and outsourced the whole thing and then wrote about it. And one of his projects was, even though he's not a Christian, he he was raised kind of marginally Jewish, but he decided, even though he's an agnostic, to try and obey every law in the Bible for a full year. And then, he, and then he filmed the video uh, and it became a TED talk. So check out highlights from his report on what it was like to try and live every rule in the Bible for a year.
1: I went down and uh, I read several versions and I wrote down every single law that I could find. And this was a very long list, over 700 rules. Uh, and they, came, they ranged from the famous ones that I had heard of, the Ten Commandments, love your neighbor be fruitful and multiply, so I wanted to follow those, and actually I take my projects very seriously because I had twins during my year, so I, uh, I definitely take my projects seriously. But I also wanted to follow the hundreds of arcane and obscure laws that are in the Bible. Uh, there's the, the law in Leviticus, you cannot shave the corners of your beard. I didn't know where my corners were, so I decided <laughs> to let the whole thing grow, and this is what I looked like by the end. Oh, uh, there's me reading the Bible. That's how I hailed taxicabs. <laughs> Seriously. And this man came up to me and he said, why are you dressed like that? And I explained my project. And he said, well, I'm an adulterer. Are you going to stone me? And I said, well, that would be great. <laughs> and uh, I actually, uh, I took out a handful of of stones from my pocket that I have been carrying around for weeks hoping for just this interaction. And, you know, they were pebbles. Uh, But he he grabbed them out of my hand. He was actually an elderly man, mid-70s, just so you know, but he's still an adulterer and still quite angry. He grabbed them out of my hand and threw them at my face, uh, and I felt that I could, eye for an eye, I could retaliate and throw one back at him. Spending a year not gossiping, not coveting, not lying, You know, I live in New York, and I work as a journalist. So this was 75, 80% of my day. I tried to follow everything in the Bible, and uh, I failed miserably. Because you can't. You have to pick and choose. And anyone who follows the Bible is going to be picking and choosing.
0: You see a guy there who is not a Christian, not a religious guy, but just tried to read the Bible and apply it, and got himself in all sorts of trouble and confusing situations. How... Uh, as Christians are we supposed to live out the Bible especially the Old Testament why was it given what's the point of it and uh, how are we supposed to process what Moses came down Sinai with so many questions here and we could spend a year on this topic but we need to understand the purpose of the law or we'll use it incorrectly let's pray and then we'll talk about the law and grace together father in heaven thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ We pray that through him we would understand what the law was all about and how we as Christians should and should not try to apply it. Give us a great understanding, Lord, of what you've done throughout history so that we can understand your word, cling to your promises, and have peace with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, open up, actually, to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 21. The book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 21. Yes, we're going to the New Testament because the New Testament helps us to process the old. These verses will be projected on the screen as well. When it comes to the law, we understand in the New Testament what the law was all about. But in Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 to 24, here's what it says. It says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Now pause there. The Apostle Paul is asking this question. He was trained in the law. He was a Pharisee. He likely had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. I mean, he he would have had all the Iwana badges today. He was a scholar. He was brilliant. And he's now asking the question, what was the law all about? What was Moses all about? He says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. You see here one role that the Old Testament had, that the law had. It imprisoned people under sin. What does that exactly mean? It means that when you come into contact with God's law, you see that you have broken it. The law, therefore, convicts you of sin and acts as like a prison guard. Like the law comes up and puts the handcuffs on you and says, You're a lawbreaker. So many people live and think that they're fine with God until they face His word. And then they're like, What do you mean that's a sin? And that's God's word showing you that you have broken God's law. So the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The picture here is people who have come into contact with God's law. Take an honest assessment of their moral life. Realize they're lawbreakers. They are being watched and policed and patrolled by God's word. But they're condemned. They're prisoners. They have no hope of being free because the law has locked them down. Then Jesus shows up with the promises of God and he sets them free from what the law has revealed to them. That's the Old and the New Testament in a nutshell and how the law and the grace go together. The word justified is an awesome word. It means that in God's court of law, You have been declared not guilty. What a moment that will be, if that could actually happen. So jot this down. Number one, do you see the problem? The point of the law is to show you the problem. Moses walked down Mount Sinai, not with a plan to get you up Mount Sinai. He didn't say, here's 10 steps and then we're all going up. He walked down Mount Sinai with 10 reasons you can't go up there to meet God. And then they were all shaking, and they turned and walked away. Do you see the point of the law? The point of the law, the Ten Commandments, and all the restrictions that came after that were God's way of showing you why you can't enter his presence. That's the point. God's word shows us why we can't enter God's presence. Do you see the problem? The law was given through Moses. This includes the Ten Commandments, the first five books of the Bible. This is what, so when it says the law, it could mean narrowly the Ten Commandments. The law could mean the first five books of the old testament the law could though also more broadly mean all the minutiae of commandments in the old testament the law could even refer to the whole old testament there's many ways the word is used but the point of god's word is to show us why we can't enter god's presence here's a picture of moses one day if you're famous enough they might put you in the movies and you might have a sweet beard he, he was ahead of his time with that beard but look there he's holding the law And the finger of God inscribed the law on stone tablets. Now, listen. If God sets a mountain on fire, have you been following what's going on in Hawaii? If God sets a mountain to look like a volcano, and then a guy goes up and comes down and his face is glowing, and he's holding things that God wrote with his own finger, I'm not going to be like, yeah, I don't agree with number two. You know, I just... I've got another opinion. I'm going to be terrified. and I'm going to listen to what the volcano just taught me about God. Do you understand that Moses came down with the law of heaven and we are all under it? Today we live in a day when people think they can just invent their own morality. You know, they can just invent it as if it could come from their own mind. And there is a law in heaven and we have all broken it. So Moses is so famous, but what he brought down was just condemnation. He didn't bring any hope. He just brought condemnation and showed us where we stand with him. He's so famous, he was put in the movies. Check out this next picture. He's so famous, they even made a Lego character out of him. Maybe you'll be that famous one day. But he walked down with the law. Jot this down. God's law reveals why I am not welcome in God's presence. That's the point. The book of James talks about looking into the perfect law, the perfect law, as if it's a mirror. And it says that if the man looks into the law and walks away unchanged, he's a fool. And if you look into this book, and at the end of hearing God's word, you're like, I'm good, God and me, we're good. It's like looking at your face in a mirror, and you're covered in like ketchup and mustard and chocolate and everything, and you're like, I'm good, good." you're denying reality. God's law reveals why I'm not welcome in God's presence. It's because I have broken His law. And therefore, I am shackled by the law of God. My relationship to the law is one of bondage. I am under it and it is holding me captive. And somebody needs to break me free and that somebody can't be me. The law points us to the promises of God. So the law shows us our guilt and it also points us to the promises of God. Hey, listen, if you are doing your best to live a good life if you're doing your best to keep what you know of the bible you're on a dead end street you're never going to arrive in god's presence the point of the rules in the bible were never a road to get you to god if you if you do your best and obey as much as you can you'll never get to heaven that wasn't the point the point was to show you you can't do it and just like the guy we watched made a fool of himself trying to follow what's in the you can't you can't I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan and one of my favorite parts in Lord of the Rings is when Aragorn and his crew realize that they have to go through the way that nobody can go through because it's guarded by the dead. Here's a picture of Aragorn confronting the army of the dead and if you watch the movies, what these dead guys say is, the way is shut. It was made by the dead and the dead keep it. You cannot pass. The way is shut. And Aragorn, of course, walks up to that king and, you know, tells him that I am the rightful king and so you will let me pass. And then it's a pretty sweet moment. But the point is this, trying to get to heaven by following the rules is the same thing as trying to pass through that. You can't. You'll never pass through it. God's law reveals why I'm not welcome in God's presence. Do you understand that God's word shows you that you're at a dead end? You can't get to God. He has to do something to help you. Here's a question that comes out of this text. Write this down. Is your soul ready to stand before God with confidence? If you understand that God's law puts you under bondage, that you are guarded by the police officer of God's word, that you are held captive because you can't come into his home, do you know that, you, that something changed? Do you know that you can enter God's presence without fear? And why? It's shocking to me today to see in our world how people are living shameless lives showing no moral restraint they think they can believe whatever they want and they think they can behave however they want and they think they're going to heaven despicable wickedness perversion bondage addiction and at the end of it all they're like i'm good with god they have no fear of god because they have rejected his law and the bible is clear They're held captive by the word. They're in bondage. They are handcuffed and they will not enter heaven. Here's two lies that people believe on their way to hell. The first one is I'm a pretty good person. And if I were to ask you why you're going to heaven and your answer is I'm a pretty good person, you're not going to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven because good is not good enough. Good implies that there's much of you that's not good, not perfect. There's much of you that's sinful and there can be no sin in heaven. If there's sin in heaven, it's not heaven. Good is not good enough. And if you think you're a pretty good person, you haven't read the word of God. I like what John Stott said. He compared God's law to a sheet of glass. And if you throw a brick and it strikes one place, it breaks the whole window. The same is true about God's law. You can't break it a little. So you might be like, well, I've only broken one part of God's law, but I haven't done all these other things. No, no. You can't break God's law a little. If it's broken, it's broken. Even in human courts of law, it doesn't matter what part of it you broke, and it doesn't matter what parts of it you kept. All right, If you're standing before the judge, and he's like, you poisoned your neighbor, and you're like, but I didn't break the speed limit. So what? It doesn't matter what you didn't break. The fact that you've broken the law means you're going away forever, and it could cost you your life. This idea that the good things I've done will somehow get me out of the bad things I've done, that doesn't even work in a human court of law. You can spend 99.999% of your life being a law-abiding citizen, but then you run over your boss in a fit of rage that takes two seconds, and it's all over. It doesn't matter how much you've kept the law. If you're a lawbreaker, you're gonna be condemned. We rationalize our sin. We think our good outweighs our bad, but that doesn't work. If you think you're a pretty good person, understand that you've broken god's law the second lie is i'm a religious person i go to church Uh, home improvement was a show that was popular in my day with tim allen how many of you watched home improvement with tim the tool man taylor dan Ackroyd was on one episode as a priest and they had a conversation and tim said well the way i see it father is you go to church you get a credit fall asleep you lose a credit give some money you get extra credit And then at the end of your life, it's all weighed. And if you have more credits than, than debits, then you go to heaven. And a lot of people are raised with that mentality. I have to accrue enough credits and then God will look at my ledger and then I can go to heaven. That's not how you go to heaven. Religion can do nothing to take away your guilt before a holy God. The same is true with some of the examples we gave before. You know, uh, it doesn't matter if you have stolen $25,000 from your company. It doesn't matter if you go to church and take communion. Those things don't cancel each other out. You can't coat yourself with a frosting of faith and think that all of the uh, filth in your heart escapes God's notice. I like what the Valley of Vision prayer book says about our true nature. It says, all my powers of body and soul are defiled. A fountain of pollution is deep within my nature. Grant me grace to bear thy will without repining and delight to be not only chiseled, squared, or fashioned, but separated from the old rock where I have been embedded so long and lifted from the quarry to the upper air where I may be built in Christ forever. I love that prayer because it expresses a longing for God to break us free from bondage to our sin. Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Following the rules will never get you into heaven, but God made a promise. The promise is by faith in Jesus, you might be given freedom Christ came to break you free and to justify you. Number 1, do you see the problem? God's law reveals why I'm not welcome in his presence. Is your soul ready to stand before God with confidence? Number 2, write this down. Have you accepted God's solution? Have you accepted God's solution? We're going to turn over to Romans chapter 8 verse 1 for this one. You can look in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We'll project these verses on the screen also. But in Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul, who is writing one of the most brilliant uh, works on faith and, and life and, and theology. If you've never read the book of Romans, my goodness, you have to read it. But the Apostle Paul reasons through so many questions and he asks himself, how can we be free in God's court of law? And in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Wow, what a promise. Listen, I've got great news for you today. Maybe no one has ever told you this, but your past has been fully recorded in heaven. There are angels writing down everything you have ever done and thought and said. All of the bad is being documented. It's a big book. Imagine if just for a week, Your sins were recorded. The things you've done and said and thought. The good things you've left undone. At the end of that week, you might have like a box with a giant binder filled with the record of your sin. And then at the end of a month, you might have like a dolly filled with boxes. And then at the end of six months, you might have like a truck filled with many boxes. And then at the end of several years or ten years, you need like a storage unit with all the boxes, and then at the end of your life, there's a warehouse with all of your sin documented, and then you arrive in God's presence, and they open box number one, page number one, and let's get started. That thought should terrify you. If you think anything in that record of debt is going to impress God enough that you get to go to heaven, you're deceiving yourself. All your secrets will come out, all of them. Nothing will be hidden. That's a terrifying moment but I've got great news for you. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The book of Colossians makes it clear. At the cross, Jesus bore your sin, which means he took it away and nailed it to the cross. I don't know about you, but when I stand before the judge and all my boxes are behind me and they start opening them, I have confidence that they are going to be empty. Empty. Because there is no condemnation waiting for me in heaven. Box after, there's nothing in this one. There's nothing in this one. They're all empty. Because Jesus took them away. They were nailed to the cross. Christ deserves a whole lot more than that. And we'll give it to him in heaven. But if your soul is not stirred by the reality... Maybe you haven't feared God yet. Maybe you haven't been honest about your past. Maybe you've buried it so deep for so long, you don't even know what will happen when it's all out in God's presence. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For Here's another law. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That means when you're under Christ, you're under the new law of the Spirit. You're not under the old law of the written code, the old law of Moses. You're under the new law of Christ. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. That means that Jesus took on a body. It doesn't mean he sinned. It means he took on a body and he became like us in every way. And then he carried our sins to the cross. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The solution is this. You need righteousness in you. You need condemnation out of you. When Jesus paid the full penalty at the cross for your sins, God was able to take the condemnation out of you. You were no longer guilty of sin. But there's a problem. You can't just be free of the sin. You also have to fulfill all righteousness. Here's the great news. When God looks at you because Jesus paid your penalty, he sees Christ in you and therefore he sees you as if you have never sinned once in your life. But even better, he sees you as if you have always done all the right things you were supposed to do. Wow. The two theological concepts there are justification, meaning your sins are taken away, and Imputed righteousness, meaning the deposit of Christ's perfect righteousness, is placed in you. You didn't earn that. You could never earn that. You can't even wipe a few sins off of your record, let alone go back in history and do all the right you were supposed to do. Do you see how Jesus is the solution? Righteousness can be fulfilled in you only by Christ. At the cross of Christ, we see the solution to our problem as lawbreakers. What the law demanded, Christ delivered. So if you think you're going to, I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments as best, you don't get it. You don't get it. What the law demanded, Christ delivered. Look over there. There's a man who kept the whole law his whole life. What's he doing? He's dying on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sin. Oh, what do you do with that realization? If you go off and try and do the same, it'll never happen. But if you say, by grace, give me this gift that you have earned, then you'll be saved. took my son to see the Avengers movie recently. Do you want me to ruin the ending for you? Okay, so in the end, (laughs) I won't do it. But there we were standing at the ticket counter, and I paid. And then we went to the candy counter, and I paid. And then we sat down, he enjoyed the movie. He got in because I paid. All right? Now, this is very simple. This is how easy it is to understand how you get into heaven. You get in because he pays. Jesus paid, you get in. If you're there pulling out your own good deeds and you think that God's going to be like, all right, that's enough. Come on, you, know, you don't understand. You can't get in unless someone else pays. Our relationship to the law changed at the cross because Jesus fulfilled the law. Because Jesus fulfilled the law, we are no longer in bondage under the law. Please understand that Jesus didn't cancel the law. <clears throat> it says in Matthew 5.20, Jesus said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus raised the bar. The most law-abiding, holiest, most righteous people in the day were the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus said, you need to do better than that or you're not getting into heaven. And then they're like, well, who can get in? And Jesus is like, that's the point. That's a dead end. It's not the way in. Jesus doesn't lower the bar. He perfectly fulfills the law and raises the standard higher than all human capacity. Then he offers you righteousness by his merit, not by your merit. Do you see how you have to humble yourself and abandon your own works-based righteousness to get into heaven? You've got to get there. I like what David Bruskus says. He says, the Bible is not a book, the Bible is not a book about rules to live by. The Bible is a book about a person to live for if you see this as i gotta follow the rules i gotta follow the rules nope you gotta follow the lord jesus is the beginning and the middle and the end of god's plan for your life in matthew five seventeen, jesus said don't think that i came to abolish the law or the prophets i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them so christ is the new law by which every act is measured When God loves you, it's because he sees his son in you. When God loves you, it's because he sees righteousness in you. Because he sees forgiveness in you. All of God's affections for you are bound up in his son. Which is why the Bible says, he who has the son has life. Some people think they're going to believe whatever they want and believe however they want and stroll into God's presence and he's going to say, wow, it's so great to see you. I mean, you have waged war with me in your heart your entire life, but come on in. And that will never happen. You have to abandon your life of sin and self-righteousness and trust Jesus who fulfilled the law for you. There will be a judgment. The judgment will still be based on this book. We will all fall short. But Christ died to set us free. So number one, do you see the problem? God's law reveals why I'm not welcome in his presence. Is your soul ready to stand before God with confidence? Number two, have you accepted God's solution? And number three then, are you controlled by the law and love of Christ? Let's get specific on how the law applies to Christians today. Is your heart controlled by the law of Christ and the love of Christ? Two very important words. Yes, the word of God, the law of Christ must control our heart. We're not free to sin and live however we want. You know, Well, I'm forgiven of everything, so all my enemies are going to get it, because I'm free indeed. No, no, no. We're forgiven. That doesn't mean we should sin, 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 because Jesus is just going to forgive it anyway. The law of Christ must govern our hearts, but it's not all about the rules. The love of Christ must rule our hearts, too. What is this new law? What is this, in Romans 8, 2, it says, the law of the spirit of life. What does that exactly mean? There's a few ways that we can take that. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it says, what? Teaching them to obey what percentage of everything Jesus commanded. All of it! So my job as a preacher is to help teach you to obey all of it. Everything that the law of Christ, everything that he's commanded. That's a tall order. So, Being under the law of the spirit of life means you are striving to obey everything Christ commanded. And in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says the love of Christ controls us. So it's not just the law of Christ. I'm just keeping the rules, staying out of trouble, afraid of God. No, the love of Christ controls our hearts too, which which means the things that burden Christ's heart burden our hearts too. The love of Christ controls our heart. This is actually a fascinating thought. But if you were to define the best of all possible worlds, what is the solution to all the violence in the world and all the hatred and all the arguments? What, what's the solution to all the addiction? What's the solution to all the relational strife and the breakups and the divorce? What define for me the best of all possible worlds? There are many competing solutions out there on the market. Education we got to get the right guy in office our economy needs to provide for the poor no all of those are wrong the best of all possible worlds is a world where christ controls the heart love of christ controls the heart i'm not talking about robots we're not puppets the love of christ controls our hearts because of what he's done for us and what he means to us if every heart was controlled by the love of Christ tomorrow morning and you woke up, there'd be no more sin. It'd all be gone. That's the fix. And that's the definition of heaven. The law and the love of Christ controlling every heart. So we have new hearts that have been transformed by the love of Christ. So is your heart controlled by the law and the love of Christ? Are you just doing it your way? I'm living my way. No going to tell me what to do. In John 1.17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we're not bound to fearfully obey this old code. Jesus' love controls us. How do we apply the law to life today? Well, understand this: we are not obligated to live under the Mosaic covenant. So the Mosaic covenant that was handed down at Sinai pointed to something greater. The covenant was: you obey these rules and you'll be blessed, you break them and you'll be cursed. Eventually, God kicked the people out of the promised land because they broke the law. We're not under the Mosaic Covenant. All through the Old Testament, God promised that a new covenant would come. And the new covenant would be a changed heart where God would take out our old heart and and put a new one in and write his law on our hearts, see? So it's an internal covenant that we are bound by. We're bound by a new covenant. We're also new people. We're we're not the nation of Israel. Uh, We're not under a theocracy. God is not our king. We're a new people. We're a spiritual people. So new covenant, new nation, new promises. So we don't have to look through the Old Testament and be like that the guy in the beginning. How do I live all of this out? Also, there are some areas like in Mark seven nineteen, where Jesus just took like all the food restrictions and he just rendered them void. He, he just said he declared all foods ceremonially clean, which means you don't have to worry about what you eat anymore. God doesn't care. There's not like a biblical diet that served its purpose. There were many good things that came from all those dietary restrictions, but they pointed to Christ. And when Christ fulfilled all of that, there was no more need for that. In the uh, early church councils, the apostles got together, like in Acts chapter 15, and they started asking, how much of this Old Testament do we apply to the Gentiles? And the answer was not much. They sent word throughout the, the land to all the churches, and they're like, you know what? Let's just tell them to avoid, like, like food that was you know strangled and that of the blood and like you know and sexual immorality and there were just a few restrictions that they placed on the church but the vast majority of it was not applicable the idea there is we are a new people under a new covenant and we are under a new law so you don't have to go through the old testament and be like how do i apply every little one everything that i see here understand that those things are still true and they still reveal eternal truths about god So in a sense, all of the Old Testament still applies because we can learn truths about God that are still true. But in a sense, none of it applies because we're under a new covenant. Now here's two ways we can fail to properly apply God's law. Number one, write this down, we have to reject graceless law. We have to reject graceless law. So this is the church that makes it all about the laws and leaves the love behind. A church that makes it all about the rules and gets super legalistic, follow the rules, follow the rules, all the rules in the Bible, and we're going to make more rules for you. Rules about what you wear, rules about how long your hair can be, rules about what movies you can watch, rules about what music you can listen to and what books you can read. We're going to give you rule after rule after rule, and you better follow them. It's a false gospel. Maybe you were raised in a legalistic church where it was all about the rules and they left the love behind. That's a false gospel. It's false because it teaches that if you get your external life conformed to the rules of men, the internal will will follow. And that's not the way it works. It's not obeying external rules and restrictions that makes you righteous. It's the Spirit controlling your heart. So we don't rely on external performance to prove that we're believers. The heart changes by God's Spirit and Christ's love. This takes more time. It's a lot easier to follow this short list of rules that seem to make you look like a Christian than it is to actually develop in the fruit of the Spirit. But the church that leaves love behind has lost everything. How important is love in the Christian life? In 1 Corinthians 13, 2, it says, If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge but have not love, I am nothing. Imagine if that was really you. You understood all mysteries and had all knowledge. Imagine if you won every time you went on Jeopardy! Imagine if you just went on starting tomorrow and you never lost. He won it again. He won it again. No one could beat him. And you literally knew everything. Everybody would hate you, but imagine it because you'd really be a know-it-all. But imagine if that was true and you literally knew everything. I know that one. I know that one. I know that one. Trivial pursuit, you get your wedge filled first all the time. And if you don't love, God won't welcome you in his presence. Wow. If I do not love, I am nothing. As a church, we have to be a loving church. We're not just all about the rules. We're not just all judgy. Reject graceless law. Jot this down. Reject lawless grace. This is actually a greater temptation in the world today. They make it all about love and leave the law behind. So we can't make it all about law and leave the love behind. We can't make it all about love and leave the law behind. If we make church all about the love of Christ, but not the law of Christ, we will fail. Albert Moeller said this, To live in this day is to live in an age that is against all law. If you're not following the type of world that is being built around you, here's the way it works. Anyone can do anything they want. You cannot tell them what they're doing is wrong. If you tell them what they're doing is wrong, you will be punished. Now, it's a total double standard because they're telling you that what you're doing is wrong, right? There's a total double standard out there, all right? But the goal is to fill the world with, with people who can love themselves any way they want. And the most loving thing you can do is to just let them live however they want. That's not love. This is why we're on a collision course with the world today. It's because the world is saying that... Moral independence is the solution. If everyone can live a life of moral independence without anyone interfering, then the world would be a better place. No, we think moral independence is actually the problem. That's what started it all wrong, moral independence. So building a foundation of morality on moral independence is actually against all law. We want to fill our church and our home and our world with the love of Christ. And with the truth of Christ, both of them are important. In James 1.22, it makes it clear, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You can't just hear the law of Christ and all that he taught in the New Testament about things and be like, well, I'll hear that, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to go out and love people. Nope. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. We are responsible to obey everything Christ has commanded us. God's Word has a central role in knowing how to love people. George Guthrie said this, The great sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, serves as our guide in following Christ through the inner corridors of the heart. This confrontation by God's living, piercing Word begins and must be a trademark of the true life of faith. Following God's Word, submitting to it, believing everything Jesus said, and bringing that Word to the ends of the earth, that's a mark of a true Christian. So here's the end of it. What's the relationship between the grace and the law of God? Do you see the problem? God's law reveals why we're not welcome in His presence. And is your soul ready to stand before Him with confidence? Number two, have you accepted the solution, which is Christ at the cross? Number three, are you controlled by the law and love of Christ? Reject graceless law. Reject lawless grace. Then your home, your church, your world, your marriage will be set on the solid foundation of Christ fulfilling the law for you and you spending your whole life with gratitude, learning to obey Him and to love Him for all He's done for you. Hey, let's close this out with a word of prayer and then we'll sing one more song. Lord Jesus, we thank You for all that You have accomplished for us at the cross. Thank You that You told us the truth about our sin. Thank You that You paid the full penalty for us because we could not do that. Lord, I know that there are some people here today who perhaps their whole lives have been trying the plan of following the rules, being a good person, being a religious person. Lord, I pray that there would be some in this room right now who finally turn away from that bad plan, who forsake their own righteousness, who admit their own sin and say, Jesus, save me. Lord, they may just want to say this in their own heart right now. Jesus, save me. I abandon my own quest to be a good person. Jesus, you alone can rescue me from the law. Father, I pray that as some cry out for that freedom, that they would finally understand what it means to not walk afraid of you, but to walk as your child, chosen, adopted, loved freely because of the merit of another. Lord, may they live with peace, knowing that you will prepare a place for them by grace, not by works. We pray that you would remind our hearts about this and help us to share this truth with everyone this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.